I'll read now from Hebrews. Uh, you can follow with me um, from our bulletin, Hebrews 5, um, and uh, the end of 5 and the beginning of 6, and uh, from what Andrew will preach. From this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the element, elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord, the word, your word, is challenging, and we are prone to interpret things in a self-centered way. Help us to listen with a willingness to be honest and to know you better and with integrity to follow through in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. And uh, Lord, we ask that you enrich Andrew's words and his uh, sharing of it with us too so that we might uh, grow and um, apply these truths throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dick. 
Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6. So we're in the middle of this sermon. It's been encouraging uh, to be reminded and to have our focus brought back to the, the person of Jesus. He started there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, has kind of kept the pedal to the metal in terms of uh, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is the great high priest. He's the great sacrifice. And we're, we're kind of in the middle of this section where I mentioned last week that we're going to be talking about the high priestly work of Jesus. Uh, pretty much until we're done with this series, we're going to end in chapter 10 for a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a break there uh, before we go on to chapter 11. But he's going to be really focusing on the high priestly ministry of Jesus. But two times, here in chapter 6 and then also in, in chapter 10, uh, the preacher takes a moment to speak to the congregation about the realities of the universe in which we live. Uh, he takes a moment to say, I, I need you to remember that in the end, there are two types of people. There are those who are saved and those who are not. There are those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, and there are those who have not. There's not good people and bad people. There's not you know, better people and worse people, they're, they're, they're saved or they're not saved. And, and he does this by, by just pausing and saying, you know that there are people that have been in your community and they are no longer in your community. This was a real deal there in, in the first century. Uh, Rome was on the throne. Rome was persecuting the, the Christians. Rome was, uh, you know, putting the question to them, if you want to keep your business open, do you acknowledge that Caesar is Lord at the expense of Jesus is Lord? And, and people would either have to affirm Christ and, and face the lions or... You know, if they, uh, you know, went back, they apostatized. They, they turned their back on their profession. Some of you are familiar with that word, apostasy. Um, it literally means to be in one place, stasis, and go from that place, apo. So to, to turn from a place. You can apostatize anything. I mean, I think a lot of people have apostatized being Detroit Pistons fans this year. You know, they started and then they've turned away from that, doing a 27, 28 game losing streak. Uh, people were apostatizing you know, from Judaism to Christianity. They were turning from the tenets of Judaism to Christianity. Uh, of course, what we usually mean inside the church uh, when we talk about apostasy is when people turn from a profession of faith towards something else, you know, towards secularism or towards uh, Hinduism or towards, you know, Islam, something else that occupies us other than having a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what gets talked about here. And this is a, a grisly portrait. I mean, grisly, it's, it's harrowing, it's, it's ugly, it's, you know, when we read verses 4 to 6 of, of chapter 6, 
It sends chills down our spine, and it's meant to. Uh, it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. Uh, this is something that is given to us as a, a bucket full of cold water uh, that, that is meant to, to wake us up. Uh, some of you know Horatius Bonar, I think, you know, rouse us from our fatal ease. Uh, that idea that says, wake up. There, there are two realities in this world. You are either surrendered to Jesus or you are not. And, and, and if you are not, it's a, it's a very dire place to go. And he's preaching to the people of God, and he's saying part of this reality is that there are people who are part of the, the people of God, or at least on the surface appear a part of this, the people of God, but who in the end uh, have tasted this, and, and they're, they're no longer of that. And he's speaking to this congregation who is, we see it at the beginning in, in 5.11 and also in 6.12, they're, they're sluggish. They're slow to learn. They're, there's, a, there's a torpor, a laziness that has come into their, their way of life, and he's wanting to shake them a little bit to invigorate them. But you know, we, we have to sort of deal with this and understand this because it, this has caused a lot of confusion and consternation in the church. Uh, we we want to make sure that we're understanding what this preacher is saying. Uh, if you were in Sunday school earlier this morning, you know, we want to we discern the line that he is on. We don't want to go above the line or below the line. We, we want to discern what he is saying, what it meant to them, and then what it means for us. This is our task each and every week, but certainly here was something that can be confusing. Because what are we to make of this apostasy passage? And then there's also one uh, in chapter 10 as well. You know, is, is the preacher to the congregation of the Hebrews saying that uh, there are genuine article Christians who uh, are in danger of losing their faith? Uh, is that what he is saying, or is he saying something else? Generally, there have been kind of, I mean, there's some different ones, but you can take three different tacks with this. Some people have said this is actually more of sort of a hypothetical warning. These are people who uh, really believe in the perseverance of the saints, sort of this idea that once saved, always saved. And so they would say that the, the preacher here is giving this uh, what sounds like a warning, but he really doesn't expect that any of these people will ever lose their faith. And so it's kind of a, a warning without teeth, Sometimes we discipline like that. We, we warn our kids and we don't ever have any intention of following through on that. It's not a particularly good strategy for discipline. Uh, and, I, you know, I think in that, that same line of reasoning, I, I'm not sure that 
that the, the preacher would be saying here under the inspiration of God something that was only hypothetical that had no chance of actually happening. That is, that somebody would be found apart from Christ. So, the Another option, and, and this is, you know, there are two that are the, the more predominant options, is that these are actual, genuine article Christians who have believed they've been converted, uh, they are, are part of the, the internal family of God, and they have, through their they're turning in their heart. This is where that apostasy, moving from a place, uh, taking their belief off of Jesus, putting their belief on something else themselves. Incidentally, here in, in this, it's not apostasy towards secularism and profligatism of them. Uh, you know, just uh, it's not a it's not an apostasy towards a wanton way of life. It's actually apostasy towards religion. Because that was the temptation. They wanted to go back to Judaism. They wanted more sacrifices. They wanted more washings. You see that in, in verses 1 and 2 of, of chapter 6. Uh, I think that's what you know, the, is being talked about throughout e Hebrews. Jesus is better than this, but that's their tendency. But they're turning away from Jesus, going back to this, and therefore they are losing their faith. Two things, I think, stand out from this. One, just in the text, and then the second one, just from the broader context of the whole Scriptures. In this text, um, the, the statement is, is that they, there is no repentance from this. Typically, people who would hold to the idea that you can be converted and lose your conversion would also say that you can repent and, and find yourself back into the, the family of God. Um, you know, sometimes you know, they, people say, well, there's, there's tulip religion you know, that has the perseverance of the saints and you can't lose your salvation. And then there's daisy religion, uh, which is, you know, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Um, but in this situation, it's just he loves me, he loves me not, and there's no hope. And, and, and ordinarily, people who would, who would see the, the idea of losing your faith would say, no, you, you can come back, and it, it's all a matter of what you believe. It's all a matter of, of how... Uh, of how strong you believe, the quality of your belief, how faithful you are in all of that. Um, the, the bigger problem, though, is it just doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. You know, when, when, we, when we read the rest of Scripture, we, we read these promises that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, when, when we, when our... When our lives are hid with Christ in God, or Colossians chapter 3, you know, we've died, we no longer live. Uh, it, this is something that God has done. And, and, and we are completely 
held fast, secure in the finished work of Christ. This is the the preacher's whole point throughout this, is that Jesus is better. It it is a once-for-all sacrifice. This, uh, This Jewish system is in and out, sacrifice every day. But, but what, what the gospel is, is it is a once-for-all sacrifice. So Jesus will say, if you are a sheep, you, you know the, the great shepherd's voice, and, and you are held in my hand and doubly held in the hand of the Father, and there's no getting out of that, you know. The, the text says, no one can snatch you from your hand, or from my hand. Uh, sometimes people who want to argue on the, you can lose your salvation, say, well, he never said anything about you can't jump out of the hand. But, but the point is, when Jesus holds you, you are doubly held in the hand of the Father, and, and there is no getting out. You are secure. So, what then is this preacher talking about, especially when we read, uh, you know, the, the description in 4 to 6, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, if they apostatize, since they are crucifying again the Son of God, there is no repentance. So, his issue is, there is a lack of surrender to the, the absolute sufficiency of Christ. And as I just have said, there are different ways you can do that. You can do it like the younger brother in the parable in Luke 15. You can go off into a far country, uh, spend your money on, on drink, riotous living, all of that. You can do it like the older brother in the parable. You can you know, create yourself all kinds of religious rules and prove yourself and you know, make yourself acceptable in your father's eyes, but not really out of love for him. Uh, the, what is being described here is a people who in either one of those are not trusting in Jesus, and they've never actually trusted in Jesus. Well, what do we mean by that? You know, they've, they've been enlightened. They've tasted uh, of the goodness of God. They've seen his promises. If you remember in this context, he's talking about the Exodus community. He's going back and he's saying, this is our model. A- and we know about the Exodus community that they were all led out of slavery, We know that they were all fed in the wilderness. We know that they saw miracles like the, uh, you know, the healing from the serpents and, you know, all sorts of different things, water provided out of a rock, all of these different things. And yet, what else also do we know about them? That of that first generation, only two of them entered into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb and, and their families. Uh, they were the only ones. So, so what was it about this, this community? They, they, they tasted, they were part of this external community, but, but they weren't resting on Jesus. And, and so their, their external life looked okay, but reality was they weren't of the community. And this is the case all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, in fact, this was the role of the prophets. The role of the prophets was to come in and to say, you are part of the community. You bear the marks of the community. You see the blessings of the community. But 
you're not actually acting like the community of God. You're trusting in other things. Uh, and, and we recognize that that is a reality in our lives as well, people that we've met. We, we all know people who have been active in church. We know people who have stood and preached and declared and led people to Christ, but then in the end, what you see is that they weren't really there. John uh, tells us a couple things about this in his epistle. In 1 John chapter 2, he talks about those who go out from us, but they're not members of us. Uh, and and the, you get the, the picture of what's going on. They, they look good on the outside, but on the interior, there is something that ultimately is hardening their heart against the gospel. And that is really the key. I mean, probably the greatest sort of example of what, you know, of how we think about this sort of thing is, is think about Peter and Judas. What, what, what draws them together is they're both disciples. They're both deniers of Christ. What separates them is that Peter, when he recognized his sin, softened his heart and return to the Lord, whereas Judas never softened his heart. But Judas, you have to understand, Judas was part of that band that went out. You know, he was doing miracles. He was, he was preaching in the name of the Lord. He was holding the money. He was, if you were to go to Judas at a particular time and see him in that moment, you would have said, this guy's in. But in the end, it's betrayed that his his externally, his body was, was part of it. It was part of the community. He was tasting the blessings. He was walking with the Lord, like literally walking with the Lord, but his heart wasn't there. It was hard and it was cold. And, and this is what we see. This is really, I think, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 12 uh, when he talks about the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it's not something that we do one time, We've talked about this before, if you were here, uh, but it's this persistent, uh, perseverate denial of the gospel, uh, uh, trusting in yourself, trusting in something other than Jesus, crucifying again the Son of God, uh, as he puts it here. And this is the picture that is being painted. The, the parable of the soils is another place in Matthew chapter 13 where, where Jesus gives this same sort of picture. He said, you know, sometimes the seed, the word of God, falls on the path and it's just gone, doesn't bear any fruit. Other times it falls and it, and it bears fruit. In fact, he says in chapter 13 verse 20 of Matthew, he says, the word is received with joy, but then it's choked out and dies because of the thorns and the difficulties that come. So on the outside, there's every appearance of fruit, but the reality is it's not really there. So what is the preacher saying here? He's, he's, not, he's not finger wagging. He's not, uh, he's not trying to, you know, fire and brimstone people into heaven, 
But what he's saying is, he's saying, you know, as you are seeking to live your life before God in this Roman Empire-dominated world where you are, are put to it every single day, make sure you examine your heart. Is your heart soft before the Lord, or is your heart stony? And it's a question that comes to us today as well. I, don't examine your fruit. That, that's, that's, I mean, it's helpful, but it's not the end. You, you've got to know what is your source. What are you connected to? You know, are you connected to the vine? Is your life in the vine? Because if your life is in the vine, then you will bear good fruit. And that's what this, this preacher is saying to his people and, and what he's saying to us as well is examine your heart. And one of the things that, that he wants is he puts it in this context, as we've already said, of, uh, of dullness, uh, of, of slowness, of this laziness, this torpor, this... Um, uh, what's the word there, sluggishness. He puts it in the context of that, and he says one of the ways that, that you do hold fast, that you do evidence a soft heart towards the things of God is by pursuing the God of the Word. You know, we, we talk about the importance of the Word. We just started a whole adult institute on that. The, the Word is important. This is the way of the world as the psalmist gives us in, in Psalm chapter 1, right? In Psalm chapter 1, we have sort of this gateway to the Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So we see that there is a way that leads to death, walk, stand, sit. And, and then the contrast, you would think, and blessed is the man then who, who uh, what is it, uh, who, who walks with the righteous and uh, doesn't stand uh, with the, he doesn't stand with the sinners and all of this. But he, the contrast that he gives is his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know, so he says, this is the way of death, but the way of life is the law of the Lord. And, and it's really what the, the preacher is saying here in verse 11 of chapter 5. We have a lot to say about this priestly role that, that Jesus plays, that we participate in. We access the throne of grace. We make discernment, he says in, in verse 14, which is a priestly thing. We talked about that last week. But he said, you're, you're not living into it because you're not in the Word. You should be teachers, but you need somebody again to teach you even the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, uh, not solid food. This milk is okay. Peter says, you know, like newborn infants crave spiritual milk. My grandson Tobias is sitting out there. He only drinks milk right now, and he's awesome. He's perfect. He's growing. He's healthy, all of that. But if he's only drinking milk a year from now, we're going to have a problem. Uh, he, he's going to need something more. And, and what the preacher is saying here with regards to the Word of God, and it's not just a duty like, oh, I've got to learn the Word of God. It, it's, it's the Word of God where we meet the God of the Word. 
It's the, it's the heart of the Word because it's the heart of God. That's why we go to the Word. That's why it's our delight. You see, Judaism, you know, the Old Testament, that religion, at least in the way that the New Testament Christians wanted to go back to it and practice it, and what we're being called to is relationship. And he's saying, if you don't, if you're not pursuing the heart of God in his word, then maybe be worried about your own heart, whether that's something that you really desire. And that's part of the question for us. I mean, it's, it's why we offer so many Bible studies. It's why we have Sunday school classes, how to study the word, all of these different things. It's because we, we know it's important. I, I never want it to be legalistic. I never want it to be like a duty for you to do. But I, I do think it's a fair question to ask, you know, this first Sunday of the new year is, is what is your relationship to God through the word? You know, do, are you cherishing the Word? Are you delighting in the Word? Are you meditating on the Word? Are you taking it in? Is the Word uh, taking you? Are you are, is it shaping you? Are you praying the Word? Are you praying God's words back to Him? Because this is His heart. And, and He's opened it up for us. And He says, come meet me in the pages of the Word. Don't be lazy. That's what the preacher is saying. You've become sluggish. And one of the reasons why it's become so hard for you to stand in this moment is because you're not saturated by the Word. You're you're allowing other things, you know, Netflix. I don't know that they had Netflix back then, but you're allowing other things. You know, Rome was very famous for all of its entertainment and distraction and all of that. You know, you're allowing other things to, become, to have a higher place in your life. Meet God in His Word. And the promise then coming out of that, of course, is uh, that we have things like fruitful life. You look at verse 10 of, of chapter 6. It's interesting, you know, in chapter 6, verse 9, here we have these really chilling words in, in 4 to 6 uh, of chapter 6. And then in 6, 9, he says, um, Though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. That's the only time in Hebrews that he refers to the people as beloved. Uh, but he, he wants to, to draw them close. This is... You know, we talk about tone and mood, you know, in terms of understanding the Scriptures. Like, this isn't a finger-wagging passage. But he's coming and he's pleading and he's saying, guys, I love you. I I love you. you. You are, we're striving together and I know it's hard. I know you're tired. I know that your knees are weak. But don't give up. Hold fast. You know, consider, because you know the realities. You, you know that there are going to be some in that day. And think about, you know, Matthew 25, Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats, where people say, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all of these things in your name? And, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I, I never knew you. And, and that's the reality. They can, you can look like it on the outside, but does God know your heart? Do you know his heart? 
Where does that happen? It's, it's mediated in the Word. And, and there's just so many beautiful things that, that flow out of that. There's a, a love for others. You look at verse 10. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for His sake in the serving of the saints as you still do. I mean, this was a tough time to be alive. But, you know, one of the indications of the love of God at work in their heart was the way that they loved one another. So we are both vertical and horizontal in the way that we practice things. And this is why being a part of a community is important. You can't just be a Lone Ranger Christian. You've got to be a part of a community. You've got to serve uh, others, and you've got to be served. Sometimes that's even harder, right? Go through difficult times, and it's hard to receive grace. Why is that? Because on the inside, we we are all true Americans. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we want to do it on our own. It's one of the reasons why it's hard to get sick. It's hard to get older. Uh, because it takes grace to receive grace. But this is one of the evidences of God at work in our life, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. These believers in the midst of a difficult situation can have hope. How many of you would like to have some hope? How many people in our world would like to have some hope? You know, so often you hear people that are despairing, but, you know, as those who have been enlightened, truly enlightened, taste the goodness of God, we we can say there is hope in this world. There is hope despite our wretchedness. There is hope despite, you know, all of the wickedness in the world. There, There is hope, and we have that full assurance of hope that we might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith, and I think he's pushing us forward to chapter 11, you know, where we get that great hall of faith and we're, we're reminded that we're not on our own. We're part of this great cloud of witnesses. That's the language of, of chapter 12. Uh, but through faith and patience, inherit the promises. And this is what, what God is coming to his congregation through this preacher, and he's saying... I know you're tired. I know it's hard. I I know that uh, you are soft to the things of God. Uh, If you weren't, that will become evident in the future. But hold fast. Keep your heart surrendered because Jesus has done it all. Your righteousness comes from him. And you are encouraged and you encourage one another by staying strong. This is sort of the epiphany gospel, right? Where we talk about the light that has burst into the darkness. We talk about all of these false ways of of trying to manufacture a righteousness or prove a goodness. And you can think of all the different ways that you have tried that or has been foisted on you or you've seen other people go down that road, but there's only one way, and that is through surrendering our hearts and our lives to the crucified, risen Savior. One of the ways that we do encourage one another is just by sharing testimonies. 
And as I indicated earlier, we, we have the opportunity this morning to hear testimony from Laura Hayes. And uh, I'll go ahead and invite you to come on up. Um, this is not to, uh, you know, highlight platform Laura. Uh, she's one of us. She's part of our family. And God has shown in her heart, and we're encouraged by that. We're encouraged to think about our own testimony. We're encouraged to share our testimonies with people as we go. I mentioned that we're going to do a little bit more of this this semester on, on Wednesday nights. Uh, testimonies of God's grace uh, in the midst of difficult times. So thank you so much for sharing. First service, Jen Friends, another one of our sisters shared. Um, Share with us. <clears throat> Thanks for letting me share my story. Um, so I was raised um, going to the Catholic Church growing up, kind of went through all the, the things, the catechism and um, going to First Communion and uh, Confirmation. My parents both came from Mexico, so they moved here to the States to raise us here. And then in fourth grade, um, we moved cities, and so I had to go to a new school and I didn't know anyone, and eventually I met a girl named Kristen, and we became just close friends, and she was raised going to a Baptist church, and so growing up from fourth grade all the way through high school, I would go to some church functions with her and go to the youth functions and just spend time with her family, and I definitely saw that there was differences, but I just thought I was a good person, and I thought, she's a good person, and these are good people at the church, and so um, I didn't think much more than that. But then when I went to college, we went to um, different colleges, Kristen and I. And when I got to college, um, I didn't have any Christians around me. And so I just began living like the typical college life, just getting involved with the party scenes and drinking and um, those kind of things. And so this went on for a few years. And then I remember over Christmas break, because Kristen and I would hang out in the breaks, and I just was came to her and I just started confessing everything to her and I remember feeling very ashamed and embarrassed and I just didn't know what she was going to think um, but she just loved me she loved me very well and she um, just explained to me more about how that's why we need Jesus and I didn't really understand anything then but she was like okay you need to start reading the Bible and I was like okay I didn't have a Bible at this point had never opened a Bible to read it myself and so she was like we're going to the store right now so we went to the store, and she bought me this Bible, and I, I'd never bought a Bible before, and I was like, oh my goodness, she just spent tons of money, because she bought me like this really nice leather-bound Bible, and so I was like, okay, I better read the thing. So I went back to college, and um, she told me to start in Matthew, to start in the Gospels, just read through, and I started reading, and I was very confused. I remember I even called her, because I was like, and this was before cell phones, just so you know. I'm in my dorm phone calling her. Anyhow, and so I called her, and I was like, I don't even understand why there's red letters, and some of them are red, some of them are black. So she had to explain that. I mean, I just didn't know anything about the Bible. And so I started reading it, and throughout that year, um, just God just used his word and different conversations. And eventually I was like, okay, like, I'm not, like, I always thought I was a good person who just sinned sometimes. And then I realized that, no, I'm a sinner, and so there was not enough good I could do to change that status before God. And so that's why I started seeing that that's why Jesus had to come and die for my sins. I needed a good person to do that for me. And so I called Kristen, and I was like, hey, like, I think I understand what you meant about Jesus. And so um, she told me she'd been praying for me for 10 years at that point. And so 
then um, she's like trying to encourage me to get around other believers. And um, on the campus, I eventually met some people involved with campus outreach. And so they were like, hey, you need to come. One of those people being um, my future husband, Kenny, but um, I didn't know that at the time. Um, so they were like, you need to come with us to this New Year's conference. And I was like, okay. But I don't really know any of these people. So I called Kristen up, said, hey, will you go with me? Because there's this conference over the break. And uh, she said, yeah, like, I'll go with you. And I tell you this because that's the last time I got to talk to her. Um, the next day she died in a car accident. And so I was definitely full of grief, and it was a very difficult time. But I remember I had a lot of questions. Christianity was new to me. I was still trying to understand it. And, um, and so I was like, well, God, I don't even know why you told her she could go with me if you knew you were going to take her home. And, um, but then I started thinking, well, I probably wouldn't go in the conference if she hadn't told me to go. So, um, so I decided to go to the conference. And um, I just remember just being full of grief, like just trying to figure out, like, why would a good God do this kind of thing? And um, I was telling God, I remember saying, like, she knew everything about me. She'd known me since I was nine years old. She knew my family dynamics. She just knew me, and she loved me. And I was like, God, how could you do this? And I just remember seeing God. Like, God was saying, I know you, and I've known you your whole life, and I understand your dynamics. And so I just remember feeling the comfort of the Lord um, in that moment. And then at the conference, for the first time, I'd heard about the Great Commission, and I'd never heard that before. And I just started thinking how God had placed Kristen in my life um, to help me to know him. And now he was calling me to be that type of friend to other people. And so I just wanted to leave you with a verse that um, Kristen left me with this verse. She wrote it in my Bible. She said, um, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we share this, just think about your own testimony and, and, and where are you on that journey and what is God doing? Part of what Hebrews 6 is saying, nurture that faith. You know, when you see it, nurture that faith in us. And, and we're so blessed to have you. I'm so grateful that Laura responded eagerly to, to sharing and, you know, her husband, Kenny, and uh, all the kids there. We're glad to have them among us. Let's pray for them, and then we'll get ready to respond by singing. God, we do thank you for this testimony and all of our testimonies. Lord, as we, we come to the faith, we recognize, you know, whenever we do an infant baptism here, it's just such a picture that none of us come because we are equipped on our own. We, we're ready. We're, we're able to stand on our own two feet. We're able to feed ourselves, clean ourselves. We all come because somebody has brought us, because you have called us, that you've drawn us to this place. And we thank you for doing that in Laura's life. We thank you for the fruit that it has borne, the hope that she now has, uh, the promises that are hers, yes and amen in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing amongst us. And we pray that you would continue to uh, fan into flame these things that have been entrusted to us. And we pray that we would encourage one another. We pray that we would be faithful uh, evangelists to those that are around us. 
And we pray that your name would be glorified uh, and that your salvation would be seen. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.